0: at the same time as we have to wait we're called to believe his promise that he said he would come and that this is when he's on his way and we're called to believe that it's actually true. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. We are recording this episode on Tuesday, November 28th, 2023. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here today as usual with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Coke of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Guys, how are you doing today? Excellent. Yeah, great, Nick. Thanks. J.D., you are broadcasting from a hospital in Houston. You want to tell our listener what you're doing there?
1: Yeah. Well, actually I'm in an Airbnb in Houston, but um, yeah, we, uh, well, it's a little bit unexpectedly Uh, we have finished the culmination of a 10 year journey through uh, with an adoption agency that was based here in Texas that um, we have just adopted a little brand new, a newborn baby boy. Um, And so he is a month old Uh, Bradford Lee Coke is his name. And so now we are uh, sitting out the requisite five to 10, uh business days as the paperwork goes through the legal system um we're hoping it's on the short end of that but at any rate we'll be here and yeah we um it's is i uh, don't I guess our listener knows you know we we have a, have a sort of an interesting journey with children but um 10 years ago we had come to the conclusion at, at the time that we were going to be unable to have any biological children and so we started this adoption process and then um, through fertility treatments and all sorts of other things, um, each year or every other year for the next 10 years, we uh, we uh, were unable to adopt a baby because they would not place a baby with you if you had a one-year-old um, or younger. And so we have been sitting on this, um, this uh, basically adoption credit uh, that we paid for 10 years ago. And um, they keep saying, well, as soon as you get your kids over one and your home study in, we'll put you back in line. And- well, we got a call Friday, this past Friday, um, and the woman had already given birth, so we didn't have much time to prepare. But I told the congregation on Sunday, and we packed up the car that afternoon, and Liza showed up here in Houston on Monday, so uh, this past Monday. So, yeah, it's exciting. Say a prayer for us. He's a he's a sturdy little guy, you know. He's um, you know, got some uh, a couple of health things that we're praying for, but nothing too dramatic, you know. Things that he'll outgrow, and so we're um, we're just excited to welcome into the family.
0: Well, I was thinking only the joy of a baptism could push the fact of Washington National Cathedral charging money to attend Christmas Eve services out of our witty banter. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we can go ahead and make fun of them just a little bit here because that's hilarious. They're charging money to go to church on Christmas Eve. The Washington National Cathedral, who ordinarily they couldn't pay you to go there.
1: <laughs> well, you might be able to pay me. It could pay you on Christmas Eve. I mean, it'd be, I'm sure it's going to be, uh, at the very least, decked out. Um, yeah, but no, that was. I mean, the. I mean, the. I think it was safe to say that tweet was ratioed. Um, oh. You know, I think <laughs> the, the definition ratio like... now has a new definition with that tweet next to it. It is funny though. I mean, it's it's a you know, but I guess the English churches, English cathedrals, have been doing that for a long time, haven't they? I mean, I'm I'm surprised that sort of some of these giant, big tourist destination churches haven't been charging at least admission, you know, or maybe it does. I don't know. I'm I've never actually been driven past it a number of times, but I've never actually been in. So, but that was pretty funny. The English churches did that, uh, or in cathedrals did that, but Did I they? Mean, not? This, I could be wrong. We might right, get it. be, they they be get wrong. Get no, I mean, you're they, right. I've no, I, I really have no idea. So maybe the ones. Do. ones I've
0: visited, have had donation boxes for sure, and certain ones with particular artifacts of historical relevance have sort of a section, like a museum-type section, which you have to pay to go into.
1: I went to York Minster a long time ago and was at a conference there, and I seem to remember paying for something. But And then, of course, we had to pay for that stuff when we went to Brussels. We had to go pay to see the Ghent – or when we went to Ghent to see the altarpiece and things, so – Maybe I'm getting just that second, but it is it hilarious. Had to pay to worship.
2: It's the idea. This is the church of you know, no walls, all mm-hmm. inclusive. <laughs> everybody right. come in. We're the church for the downtrodden and the and the oppressed. But if you want to come and have communion and hear the gospel, you better pay us money. Not the yeah. <laughs> not voluntarily to get in the door. You've got to pay. You've got to pay us. I mean, that's just. I don't see how. Uh, I don't. I I would. I'd love to be in on the conversations around the board with, what do they have at the cathedral? Is it a chapter. board? Say, chapter? chapter. Yeah, I would love yeah. to just have be a fly in the wall and listen to the conversation. <laughs> yeah. How that, how that came to pass they made that decision. So
1: well <laughs> so, it must be it must be they have like a standing room only on Christmas Eve or something. I mean maybe they sure. have like the Philharmonic or something they are playing or you know um and fair no, enough. No, like have
0: a have a limit, first come, first serve that's totally understandable. Yeah but charging for yeah, it. Yeah
1: charging is bananas. It's... <laughs> Well, it's sad because, you know, on any other given Sunday, like you said, Matt, it's probably like 25 people. I mean, maybe there's more. I don't know. You know, some That's of these right. holdout churches that are still beautiful can sort of pack them out every now and then. But um, but it is funny that, you know, the church of uh, in general, the, the flagship of the church that welcomes everyone, you know, right. is, is, <laughs> is two or three days where it's full. And then
0: uh, Well, and Jeff Walton wrote, I think, yesterday that it can seat. Something like 60% of the entire attendance of the Diocese of Washington, D.C. can fit (laughs) in that cathedral. That's hilarious. Lord in heaven. Well, as as I'm sure our listener would be assuming, I believe that Grace Anglican Church, Church of the Good Shepherd, and St. Luke's Anglican Church all have available seating for free on Christmas Eve. Christmas Day and all through Advent.
2: Is that right? You can come right in, sit yeah. down. There's actually lots of pews. We're not standing room only on Christmas Eve. I know, are you, J.D., Do you have a huge crowd on Christmas Eve? Uh,
1: we have a bigger crowd. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who come, visitors. A lot of we have a lot of uh, people on vacation. Um, I mean, it's not standing yeah. room only. I mean, I wish it. You know, it'd be great if it sure. would yeah. be, but um, particularly this this Advent because uh, Advent four and East Christmas mm-hmm. Eve on the same day i think we're gonna have some pretty um over church people uh (laughs) there we go and then then christmas morning of course too so Mm -hmm. theoretically you could go to five services within a 24-hour period which would um yeah you know you'd really really get your yeah jewels in your heavenly crown (laughs) 12 days of christmas with a bang right there (laughs) Uh (laughs) right
0: Well, speaking of Advent and Christmas, this upcoming Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, so we thought we'd make that our topic of conversation this week. I spent one Christmas not that long ago, Christmas season, worshiping at a non-liturgical, non-Anglican church, and I remember that Christmas totally snuck up on me. Bang, there it was. It was Christmas. Now, being in Florida probably didn't help, but I really missed the Advent season leading up to the Christmas celebration, but surely... There are reasons to observe Advent other than keeping yourself situated in the calendar. What has the church intended in its observation of this pre Christmas season?
2: Traditionally, a a penitential season, almost like Lent, except there's, there's uh, uh, maybe more of a tinge of hope in it. So the, (laughs) You can trace it back to the the 500s or 400s, actually, the late 400s AD, when I, when Advent was first observed in the West. Anyway, and it was you'd have uh, there's some. I was reading about a few days ago. There's some debates about whether there was each week during Advent whether you fasted three days or whether you fasted, you know, in some ways five days a week leading up to leading up to Christmas. And the idea, of course, is is that there's a there's a Two types of preparation. There's a, there's the, um, or three, maybe three. Remembrance of the preparation of of the people under the old covenant, uh, waiting for the Messiah to come for the first time. So you're kind of remembering that that period of longing and hoping for Jesus, or they didn't know his name was going to be Jesus, but waiting for the Christ to come. And then for us, we're also waiting too. We're waiting for the Christ to return. Um, and so we we live lives right now in large part lives of preparation waiting waiting for our lord to come and so part of that is living a life of repentance you know the where, where we confess our sins we receive the forgiveness of christ we wait for His, His coming to free us from all these things um and to establish peace on earth so that's the second kind of preparation that, that advent looks forward to and then the third i guess um you could say also is a is a more a more regular type of preparation, where you know every week we we receive Christ at Christ's body and blood at the at the Eucharist. And we hear His word in the Gospel, um, and so there's a there's a uh, He comes to us regularly as Christians, and so some also add that remembrance to their Advent time together. So uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but so well, my church plate does usually use Advent as a time of of adding either adding disciplines to uh, to their own, uh, lives or doing, or or doing their best to really tackle a besetting sin and ask God to help them be freed from it.
1: Yeah, I was totally new to the Advent, um, sort of tradition or rhythms, um, even as a newlywed, um, having grown up in a totally non-denominational church world, um, And really, it took it's still taking some time to fully embrace the season for what it has historically been. And I'm grateful that I have um, in the past five to 10 years been more proactive and intentional about it. But I remember when I was a curate, I'd just been ordained and I was working in Vienna. You know, and it turned after we had had Thanksgiving, of course, none, none of the Canadians or the Europeans had Thanksgiving. But we had a Thanksgiving and I immediately the next day began celebrating Christmas and I was <laughs> reprimanded, rather rebuked by a, a training incumbent, as the Church of England calls them, um, for, you know, celebrating too soon. And so, you know, I was ready for Christmas carols and putting the tree up and lighting the church. And we did nothing, absolutely nothing until uh, Christmas morning, and then of course it was it was glorious, you know. And it was really, it was a jarring, jarring for me. But of course, a lot of the liturgical world um uh was still relatively new. I mean, it's just some twenty years ago now. And so, over the years, I've grown in a, the way that you're describing, about I fully appreciate, and in fact, incorporated in my own life, and then by extension through the life of the, at least, encouraging, inviting people in the church to consider. This as a a form of a penitential season, you know, and I think the way that we the way that I like to think of it is that you know he came once and he's promised to come again, and so that should be a, something that we speak with awe and fear and trembling, you know even as we you know rejoice to behold his coming his appearing as we pray um nevertheless, it's quite sobering concept to know that uh you know as he came as a baby, he was coming again in glory um and so that sort of positions it and actually sets it up fairly easy for uh you know penitential sermons because you say well you know and, and of course the last three readings of the lectionary cycle this past year have teed it up great you know with the Matthew 25 parable so mm-hmm. we we've had no lack of um people get ready um, <laughs> jesus <Yeah>. is coming <laughs> you know so and i think that's um but i've really appreciated i've appreciated the break on my own selfish sort of desires to, to you know, open presents and celebrate and sort of, it's been a, a, a patience uh, building season for me over the past couple of years. And it's difficult, you know, it's difficult for my children. It's difficult for, for the church. It's difficult when everyone else is celebrating, but you know, what's sad thing for me, and this is just very practical. It's not theological but practically speaking, by the time Christmas comes around for many people, it's already, they're already so exhausted and they're already so wiped out with all the shopping and singing and, and Caroline and all the things that the actual significance of it is is blunted. Um, at least that was the that was sort of the, the experience of my late childhood, you know, into early marriage. And so I've been grateful, been grateful for the whole season and for, for for many of the reasons you you've already articulated, Matt.
0: I do think it's instructive that all four of the gospel writers who set out to tell the story of Jesus's life do not start with the arrival of Jesus. Even Mark, who gets right to the point in everything he does, starts with John the Baptist. Now, Matthew doesn't start with John the Baptist, but he does start with a genealogy. And so all of the writers understood that there was something to come before the one who came. And I think that Advent is a good way for us to observe that too, that that there is a whole salvation history working of the Lord that certainly culminates in jesus and his birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension and his finished work for us but that god has been at work from the beginning of time and that even in just telling the story of jesus we have to actually start before jesus arrives
2: yeah I and mean, that's something i learned as a very new christian i mean you, you and i i've been i was 25 26 and so i've been celebrating christmas that, that often and loving it for all the presents and things but no okay what A baby was born to to Mary. uh, What's all the big deal? But you know, as you when you become a Christian and you and you begin studying the scriptures and reading the reading Old Testament, and you get the backstory that, that what were people waiting for? What was promised to Abraham? What was promised to David? What was promised to through the prophets to to Israel? Then seeing those promises begin to be realized in in the conception of a child and the born to not a princess or in the palace but to uh, uh, what well, basically be a I guess a peasant woman and um, and a really far off or at least a, what, what most Jews considered a backwater place uh, who was from a backwater place he was born in Bethlehem so yeah I mean it's it the whole the knowing just like everything and, and just like every story if you if you just in if you just come to the the climax without reading the without knowing all the steps that led up to it you're you're missing Whole whole bunch of it, so uh, almost the entire meeting. So that's why what's one of the great things about Advent is you get you get some time you get some time uh, four weeks at least to to talk about that background uh, that context mm. that we have. You know, going back just a little bit to what JD was saying a minute ago, and I don't want to interrupt what you were going to say about what Nick just asked, but um, <laughs> yeah. it is it is it is fascinating. You know how 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 the secular calendar works. You know that the, at least here. The minute Halloween is over, all the Halloween yeah. decorations come down, and then the Christmas decorations come up. And it, 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 there's much fewer uh, Thanksgiving decorations than there used to be. It's it's now right. straight from Halloween to, to, to Christmas season.
0: Soon and it'll then, be 4th of July.
2: Yeah, oh, after and after Christmas Day, well, after New Year's. there's, there's – you wake up the next day after Christmas, there's nothing. Like, no, Christmas no, I mean 4th of done.
0: July to Christmas. That's what I oh, mean. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So – <laughs> that's true so but but after christmas day there's nothing it's you, you're done and now you're looking forward to new Year's day which is the, the drunken holiday and then after the drunken holiday you get you know you get uh, valentine's valentine's day, day. that's
1: right, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that's
2: so, so it's just it's so it's just uh I, I hear you you've been celebrating christmas for two months by the time you get there uh, in, the, yeah. in the in a secular world but you haven't been celebrating christmas though because you don't well, you're going back to what nick was saying you're not getting the stories of, you know, the prophets, what Isaiah mm-hmm. said, what, what,
1: what, what no, you're, getting, you're getting, you're getting guilt tripped for months over how, how much money do you need to spend to show those in your life that you really do care about them, despite what they may think. Yeah. <laughs> so, <what's laughs> so, like, for only know, two like,
0: months salary. Like they actually couch it in terms of how much, how many months of your salary you should be spending for X person or Y person. Yeah. <laughs> i uh... will say that the only aspect of christmas exhaustion that i can understand is the relative lack of awesome advent hymns i am overwhelmed of course with the number of awesome christmas hymns and of course there should be wonderful christmas hymns but in the church liturgical calendar christmas is usually two sundays and Advent is for we need somebody
1: to write something yeah. in Advent
0: hymns. Now, I'm
1: sure that we there usually are... just sing oceans, we sing oceans, um, <laughs> just every Sunday with the ocean music and all the stuff. So, that that's pretty much you know, uh, we think an Advent hymn at our church. Uh, I'm sure that, that our <laughs> listener <a joke. laughs> will be up in arms
0: immediately over my assertion that there are a few awesome Advent hymns. So, please do send me your awesome Advent hymns. I'm always we always never have enough weeks in church to sing all the great Christmas hymns. Always looking for great Advent hymns.
1: I think people get ready is a good Advent hymn, right? People get ready. Jesus is coming soon. You'll be going home. I mean, what about, uh or, um, or what's that one about, uh, you don't need no ticket. You just uh, praise the Lord. Um, that's, that's people get ready, too. Yeah, that's an easy sort of variation of a theme, though. Let, sure. let um, all
0: mortal flesh keep silent. I'm manual, of
1: course. We're adding ever. the Trisagion, and that's good. We like that instead of the Kyrie, you know, sort of. Um, so we're we're changing up a little bit. All that about which y'all have been speaking is one of the main reasons we, early at least I, couch advent as a, um, sort of emphasizing eschatology, you know, I have this, I have this book that I've been putting together called the reasons for the seasons, a small, uh, assistant, short systematic theology on being and time. That's the, that's mm-hmm. my, uh, yeah, but I have because I have couched all of these and I warned the congregation, you know, these big quote-unquote big theological terms like eschatology and incarnation and atonement and hermeneutology, all these things in the various seasons. But I found it helpful. And so I always use Advent as a time to begin at the end, um, which is his second coming, because we're beginning at his first coming, but it actually takes into account like you've been saying the entirety of the God's God's dealing with humanity from from Genesis to Revelation. And so I've found that to be a helpful way of couching it because to say, you know, if we don't understand um the sort of the grand narrative, for lack of a better word, then we're not gonna appreciate the the specifics along the way. And so to start the church season with this sort of emphasis on the 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 whole history, not just not just the specific history, but actually from creation to resolution or, or um new creation has been an interesting concept for people and I've, I've found it being fruitful in terms of preaching and teaching kind of to um to situate and of course it goes with i can't forget is it the four light that the, the candles have represented like <laughs> countless different things yeah watch out in now. every single person i talked to but one of them i feel like one year maybe this was back in vienna too we were doing reflections on the the Great Four Last Things. Was that during Advent or is that Lent? I can't remember, but, you know, it was like death, heaven, judgment and hell or something like this. And it was like very heavy weather for Advent. But I remember that being impo- and it sort of impressed upon me at a relatively new priest age that this was the type of conversation we should be having in preparation for Christmas, because then when he's born as a cute little baby. You'll realize the significance of like that famous Eastern Orthodox icon that has the little baby coming down to Mary, but he's carrying a cross, you know, like even the little cute little, you know, cherub. And I'm um, so I, I think um, that was helpful uh, resetting. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that taking this time to to sort of give people the, the sort of the grand scope um, to put ourselves in the flow of the of the story and then the awesome proclamation, which is radical and, of course, rejected by unbelievers, which is that there's a beginning and an end and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Um, and that's, that's the ultimate significance of the incarnation, which is what we're preparing for, uh, during this Advent season.
0: That's an interesting thought. I wonder if you guys would want to say more about that. The fact that Advent and Christmas and sort of the way the Christian, year is conceived is actually shining a light on the way that time works that God is a creator that time is not a wheel that spins it incessantly always returning us to you know like once again we're, we 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 live year over year of course but we have a god who creates who has worked to redeem and who will bring everything to completion and that actually celebrating something like advent before his actual coming in his incarnation helps us to see that.
2: Yeah. We're not Eastern religionists who have this kind of circular view of history, just in the cycles, cycling, cycling, cycling. We have a view of history that goes from a beginning to an end. And that beginning and end is, is something over which God himself is sovereign. And so in the church year, you go from the beginning, uh, advent, the law, the prophets, the, promises that god gives to the the climax of history which is the coming of christ and then the rest of the year is about how that how that unfolds epiphany is about how the news of, of Christ has gone out. To That's nations. epistemology. During Epiphany, yeah. we talk
1: about epistemology. So- <laughs> Jay, Jay's workshopping his book right
2: now. <laughs> I got it. And then, and then Lance, you know, I guess Lance points us toward the second great climax of soteriology. Uh, of the of the of the work of christ which is his the cross and i guess i, I mentioned it, i said a minute ago that christ is the the, the hinge of history and that the, i guess you could say there's two of them though there's the the birth and his his incarnation and then his his death and resurrection that's every, everything everything uh before then was leading up to that everything after that those things are are the aftermath in which the, the benefits and the blessings and the good things that Christ has accomplished um, in His life, death, and resurrection are are being shed forth in the earth. And Pentecost is is gives us the means why that by that, where that happens. We uh, that's a new Sends His Holy Spirit uh, to the church, and the church goes out into the world and uh, and and proclaims the gospel. And more
1: missiology.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then it's we have more. right so we we, we kind of we we recapitulate history from god's perspective every year Uh, that's
1: right well and it's also we have something you know we have good news to say i mean every you know every i've often have a rhetorical question in, in sermons um every now and then but one of them is have you actually considered your understanding of history like what do you believe is actually the case like is it just a succession of you know what mark twain said you know one doggone thing after another you know it's um that was that was edited for children but um you know or is it actually in the hands of an author or is it random or is you know this is something that you should consider because for christian we say well it is authored and it is providentially guided however mysterious that may be which means that when the uh the apocalypse or the you know comes you know we actually believe you know the end of days however conceived we are ones who will rejoice at that day as opposed to we see all over the place people who have a sort of a dire prognosis for the end of the world you know the sun's going to burn out or we're going to blow ourselves up or we're going to you know some sort of cataclysmic end is is seems to be um natural to our sort of at least intuitive human nature you know there's something about the 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 sort of arc of history and we have something good to say you know i mean we have got something good to say in the face of of um you know rather dire prognosis um are all around us now of course there's there's not simply good news you know there are sheep and there are goats but of course we're doing the best we can to have as many goats as possible i mean sheep as possible you know i mean that's that's the whole work of the church but i do think uh, there's an essay that i'm thinking about uh, by late Gerard ferdy called you know um, apocalypse and eschatology and he talks in it about how for the christian You know, we take all of these apocalyptic sort of scenarios that have been prevalent in all sorts of religious and even and even as we say, see today, secular mindsets, you know, the coming conflagration, the dystopic future, all these things. And we're the ones who actually proclaim into that something of the good news. And I think that's also an aspect of Advent that we could say, you know, we we are preparing for him to come again in this sort of repetitious story that has recentered our lives, but we're actually preparing not simply to recognize that he has come, but like I said before, that he's coming again, which is good news. Or or if it's not good news, let's talk, you know, (laughs) let's set up an appointment or, um, you know, or repent and believe right here. And I think that's all part of what um, the joy and the gift of this season, before we get to the simple, not simple, but the profound celebration of his, of his actual birth.
0: I do think there's also just a a psychologically healthy benefit to waiting, that we are so used to being able through sort of willpower to make whatever we want to happen, happen, that even something as simple as, yes, Christmas is coming, it's going to be a while, is really a judgment on our ability to bring things into fruition. We, we must grapple with the fact that God had to come to earth to accomplish our salvation for even a couple of weeks before we get to celebrate that he's there. And that's good for us natural workers to remember that we had mm-hmm. to be still and know that he is God, and that he is coming. And at the same time, as we, have to wait we're called to believe his promise that he said he would come and that this is when he's on his way and we're called to believe that it's actually true amen the reason we
2: wait for his coming and jd might have a and maybe we can get into eschatological <laughs> argument here, but the but the, but the reason we wait for his coming is because we are not going to be able to do what only he can do. We we, the church is is not going to I don't believe anyway, win the entire world of Christ before Christ returns. We wait because he is the one who's going to who's going to extend. Uh, culminate his kingdom by extending it over all the nations of the earth and it's the same thing that happened in you know the Old Testament you know what, what was what was the Old Testament about the uh, think of the, the sequence of kings right? uh, God sets up the, the throne under David and you know he the, David's supposed to be a king who, who rules and governs by God's law and represents Israel in his own person uh, shepherds Israel and he Fails. So he's, 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 he is a good man after God's own heart, but you know, he's also horribly wicked. And then the same is true for all of his sons. Solomon does well for a while, and then he stumbles and falls. And then Rehoboam don't doesn't even go far as far as his father, Solomon. And then you go all the way through the kings, and there's some bright spots there, you know, Asa. Very and, few. You know, yeah, very few and far between. Um, but even the best king that, that they have, Josiah, isn't able to bring about the good, wonderful peace that god has promised for those who keep keep covenant with him and so all of that all of that, all the failure of the old covenant is pointing to the reality that only Christ can save us. And he and he's he's the king, he's the priest, he's the he's the prophet who can really change hearts and bring about a new creation, uh return to Eden, which is actually a city, he's gonna have to do that. So we're waiting now. I mean, I, I think and I know I think JD probably will disagree with this, but we're waiting now in the same in the same kind of way. You know, we 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 are not able to do what only Christ can do. And it's a good humbling humbling thing to recognize that it's him and not, not us, I think.
1: I just wonder where his if, – if only we had some institution that he identified as his own body on Earth, <laughs> whereby he could continue to work through that said body for his glory and to his benefit. If only that were – I I would agree with you, Matt. I, I so mean, you, I know you, I, you... I, I I agree with you. It's just I, if only he had left us something like that, I might disagree with you. Do you, um, do you because... think <laughs> – do you think Israel was something
2: like
1: that? I don't. I think Israel is the oracles of God, which will show, as Paul says, which will show his long-suffering for his disobedient, wayward, stiff-necked people. So I think that the recapitulation of Israel in Christ is now the, the true Israel, um, and anyone found in him incorporated by faith into his body is now the part of the his um, hands and feet and in his, in his outworking of his kingdom. Which is under the shadow of the cross, of course. Which you know, I mean, as I say all the time, the people who were watching, you know, the the um, the mainline bishops that were sitting in the gladiatorial arena watching the Christians get thrown to the lions um, certainly didn't consider that they were going to be on the losing end of things. And yet, you know, here we are, and they're, they, um, you know, I mean, they're, they they aren't there. Um, they're charging and seven
0: dollars so, for Holy Eucharist on Christmas. That's Easter. right. <laughs>
1: That's right, and so that's uh, um, so. Again, I don't think. I mean, I listen. I, I appreciate the. Um, you know, I think that. That part of the immunitizing the eschaton, as I say, uh is the blight of the mainline liberal church, you know, that says we're not gonna wait for Jesus to come uh or to, to work out his kingdom at his in his way at his time. We're rather going to pass the what were those millennium development goals? Yeah. Like that's the that's what the kingdom of God is gonna look like, and we're gonna force every church to adopt them. Um, I totally reject that, but I do think. That if we, um, you know, a thousand generations is a long time. And I think that, again, we're going to all find this out in the end. But I don't think that, I think that the, the work, the Christocentric or cruciform optimistic uh, which seems like a seems like a, a oxymoron to the unbeliever, as Paul would preach. You know, foolishness to the Greeks and stumbling block to the Jews. But optimistic cruciform eschatology, which could otherwise be called post-millennialism, I think is is at least an attractive option when it's appropriately chastened by you know Good Friday. You know, so it's not jumping over or around, but actually going through Good Friday. Uh, Which again, is it something back to your point, Nick, a lot harder to, it's easy to say harder to do, you know, it's easy to say, you know, I'm content to be one of the middle generations that simply, um, you know, puts one foot in front of the other and doesn't see the Lord and his appearing, you know, which was of course, thousands of years before um, Jesus arrived between Abraham and, and John the Baptist, you know, there was a bunch of just middle generation people that just kept the flame alive. And, you know, I don't, you know, in my flesh, I could, I mean, in my I, it's easy for me to say, well, that's obviously where we've been called to be, but it's also kind of exciting to think, well, maybe, you know, maybe we're going to see John the Baptist or maybe we're going to see the mighty hand, the, the great shift. Maybe we're going to see, but it could just as easily be that we're one of the people that was carrying the stone, you know, when the wall was being rebuilt in Nehemiah and we fell and cracked our heads and that was it, this side of heaven, you know, it's like not particularly <laughs> exciting, but, you know, we, we, we still taught our children the promises and they carried it. I think that's that's again part of the waiting too. Is just the humbling aspect of Advent to say that you know we are we're not only al- not only not alone. We're in line of a of a long unbroken strand of people who have who have believed but not seen. You know, as Jesus said. I mean, this is what you know. The people that you know Abraham heard God's voice, and and every now and then you know you had a prophet would do mighty wondrous acts, but there were a lot of people who just heard and believed and carried the promise up until john the baptist you know and then from jesus's resurrection onward there have been miraculous signs and wonders here and there but by and large by the power of the spirit the majority of people have simply heard and believed and so we count ourselves among those people and we may be waiting our whole lives i mean this is you know may not be like Zechariah. you know we might we might not get to pray that at the end but but even so you know that's part of the chastening sobering humbling aspect of advent which of course is it comes to an end because we do get to we get to celebrate um at the end but i think during these weeks we can we can appreciate um like you said nick the 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 forced patience and the humility that comes from recognizing that it's easy to say and it's much harder to exhibit
2: i mean i, I agree the good, good portion of that i just point out that the <laughs> uh the all the pictures that we have in the bible of jesus's return is his his coming to rescue a beleaguered church, not not him coming to crown an ascendant church. So I I just I would caution.
1: Um, well, it just yeah. depends on what. <laughs> well, again, I mean, I, listen, I'm not I'm happy to to punt and take a agnostic view on all of this. Um, if if <laughs> pushed, just right. the way that um, right. you know to to uh, you know, in other words, abdicate my responsibility as a doctor theologian the of the church, but um. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, know, so, uh, you know which is a classic uh anglican fudge as they say but um but i think um anyway i, I i'm still researching on it. i'm still doing some reading but i do we i definitely do
2: definitely have our eschatology show. i'm fine i mean i mean not this time but we need to do this we need to have we need to have a uh, you know, well i'm not ready yet i'm still
1: gonna punt shows. i'm gonna punt and we'll pull back and then we should bring <laughs> someone who actually knows well or what they're talking about um, right, right. and when any of our listener wants to take matt up on the discussion we just need. We don't want a full preterist. We need sort of yeah, a, no full partial. <laughs> yeah, we need a partial post millennial partial pre. Preter- we need to get Bishop Sutton on here and let uh-huh. him uh, uh, talk to us about it. As, as far as I understand, listener, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have um, some books I'm working through. So anyway, well, let's give a final word about Advent. What is the good news hope of Advent?
2: That the uh, the shadows are being dispersed, and that the the darkness that has overshadowed. Humanity, because of our our turn from God and our our exaltation of the self, um, is temporary. That the King is coming back, and because because of that, we can endure the, the pain, the difficulty that this present life holds. Um, because of that, despite our own sinfulness and our wickedness, um, and the 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 power of the f- the flesh exercises even our own lives, we know that there's coming a time, and we will be set free from that completely. When when Jesus comes, and uh, in the meantime we have uh, His blood to wash away our sins. So um, it's a it's a waiting with hope, and a waiting with uh, not just not just a, a kind of a hope like I hope it's sunny tomorrow, but but a sure and certain hope that He loves us, He's coming for us, and that um, this present life is going to seem like a dim, strange shadow <laughs> for a thousand years from now.
0: The man's a preacher. Yeah, what he said. Amen. (laughs) Well, thank you as always for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us, send us your Advent hymns, rate and review the podcast on iTunes, send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Also, want to say welcome to the family, Bradford Coke. Thanks to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm.